Let's put a palm tree on it. This show needs more palm trees. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, happy Thursday morning. That means it's time for another Lifestyle Business Podcast. Man, we've got enough bandwidth to see each other on the video. It's actually pretty cool. Amazing. Speaking of who I'm seeing on the video, it is, of course, no secret here, no surprise, my co-hostess, my captain, a man who's currently trading his YZFR6 for a Yamaha Nuvo LX125CC. Smell a little Asia in that equation, Ian. I've got no shame downgrading. You uh, have an attachment to the brand, but not to the concept of cool, evidently, because you go from these awesome racing bikes with slicks and, and cool fairings and stuff to a, uh, let's call a spade a spade, a, a scooter. Yeah, it's hard to drag your knee on the, uh, on the 125, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try. If you guys stick around to the end of the show, Ian and I will share with you some simple ways to zenify your desktop. I don't even know if that's a verb, but... It's now. You Zenify. And the one and only Rob Walling will share with us some surprising and counterintuitive techniques for throwing profitable in-person events. And this is an exciting one because I feel like during this interview, Ian, we took a big step forward by learning directly from Rob's experience. <laughs> it was awesome to have Rob on the show. I can't wait. I've got four pages of notes, and so I would send the warning out to you guys in just a few minutes. Uh, grab your notepads. It's been amazing. All right, so first, Ian, let's talk about the shouts. Thanks to the dude who says this podcast is an absolute must. Give me the applause effect. Five stars. I've been listening to these guys forever. and just realized that I never actually left the review. Listen to this or fall behind. Dan and Ian are the real deal. They are not the how to make money online BS bloggers polluting the interwebs like so many others. Yes, our pollution is of a whole different sort. They actually know <laughs> what the heck they are talking about and have extensive real world business experience. I've been lucky enough to hang with them in the offline world now and they back up everything they share. No matter what your skill level, you should listen to each and every episode. You'll leave highly motivated and a little wiser every time. Ian, can you guess who left the review? I can guess. Thank you, Travis. <laughs> oh, he left his name there. You cheated. All right. Thank you, Travis. Five stars from Sean Wilson. I keep finding good podcasts that lead to better podcasts, which lead to even better podcasts, and they all lead to Dan and Ian. There's a reason why these guys have five stars. They have unrivaled value provided in the lifestyle business domain. Thank you, Sean. That's friggin' awesome. Keeps me inspired. We think it's a trend. This whole idea of bringing your audience, your customers together into great events. People have a little bit more flexibility. Obviously, we're doing this in just uh, a month from now. And so the, the heat is on, the pressure is on, so to speak. So let's get right into it. We are here with uh, an LBP favorite, Rob Walling from Startups for the Rest of Us podcast. And, uh, you know, appropriate for this episode, we're going to talk about 
in-person events. So we've been talking about how we feel like there's actually a trend involved here. And Rob, you co-founded MicroConf and something that Ian and I were just, we were hovering around the buy button last year to go to this, but we were in Asia at the time. Um, so we've brought you here today to learn everything we can about how to throw a great event for our audience. So thanks for joining us today. It's an honor to have you as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me again. All right. So the first question we've got, and this might be relevant for a lot of people doing content marketing out there, is how did you guys know that you had a big enough audience to throw an event? I mean, how many people need to be on the list or, or how were you confident enough to be able to, to throw that event? So the short answer is that we didn't. We didn't know that we had a big enough audience. And Mike and I had a lot of discussions about, about writing that first check. And the first check is typically to book your venue. And for us, it was going to be, I don't remember, it was five figures. It was 15 grand or 20 grand as a deposit. And so before we did that, we wanted to figure out how do we know that we have a big enough audience. And so what we did was we put up a landing page and we spoke to our first, we wanted to get some core, like, uh, what do you call them? Um, foundational speakers, right? The big names that would draw people. So we talked to those speakers, we set a date, but we had no venue. We just knew we were going to do it in Vegas. Um, we had done some research and figured out that was the best place. So we put up a landing page and we drove traffic. Like we did the traditional smoke test, kind of the lean startup type stuff. And uh, we drove traffic both from Hacker News, from the podcast, from uh, our blogs. And we got enough of a list. And I think our list, to be honest, was I wanted 800 on that list. And I think we got five, somewhere around 550 and decided to push forward with it. Um, and to be honest, that first year was pretty, it was scary. It was close. We were close to shutting it down about six weeks before the event because we were about 15 grand at least in the hole. Six wow. weeks in advance. Yep. Uh, and so we, we uh, in the end, a couple sponsors came through and made it. So we actually did make a couple grand. But um, I was, I actually called Mike, uh, you know, about six weeks in advance, and I said we need to really look at shutting this thing down. And on that call, he said, "No, we just landed a sponsor." And I was like, "Yes, let's do this." All right. Interesting. So there's so two you things had... you glossed there. One is how did you just put it on Hacker News? Because we try to put stuff on Hacker. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I, I really, it's, it's that, ma what do you call it, the magic formula, whatever, the question mark, question mark, and then, and then success. It, um, to be honest, I, I think we just put it, um, we, we wrote a compelling headline that was like, new startup conference for self-funded founders, and someone put, it was a friend of ours who posted it, and he put, Patio 11 will be there. <laughs> and Patio 11 is like, such, you guys know Patrick McKenzie, such yeah. a frequenter of Hacker News. And it, it got upvoted. Um, that, you know, there is the ma there's part of the magic equation there for sure. But I don't know, to be honest, I don't know how many of the Hacker News people bought from us. I know we got pushback once we launched. A lot of startup conferences are like $99, and ours was, was $499 for a number of reasons because it was longer and we had bigger speakers we were flying in. And um, so I think a lot of the Hacker News crowd probably it didn't wind up purchasing from us and it was more our core audience as you guys have experienced your core audience is just much more willing to to engage with you and to take a risk take a flyer on you and so what was your process rob for uh wanting to attract sponsors is that something that you sought out to do in the beginning or is that something that you kind of came to the conclusion you needed to do we sought them out from the start and 
the reason was mostly um, well, there were two reasons actually. I think I think one sponsor approached us early on when they heard about it, and we realized that that we could actually provide like the sponsor with some value, and that it would actually be valuable to, to folks at the conference, right? It wasn't just like this money grab. I mean, I really saw the the two sided value equation, but as it as we launched and tried to sell tickets and I realized that the ticket sales were not going to be where we had hoped it definitely became a you know we need sponsors to kind of to kind of not lose our ass on this thing so um, that was that was a twofold thing now luckily with startups there really is a uh, there's an easy market to find. There are a lot of companies catering towards startups, so it, it is a you know not a not hard to find a list of, of companies to basically cold email, cold call and email, which is what Mike was doing. So if we wanted to get some sponsors, which is something that we hadn't even thought of yet, um, you know what are what should we offer them, you know, mm-hmm. and and then how do you know how much to charge them or what what kind of fees are involved? In essence, I think as a, as a beginning conference, having had zero events, you don't have much of a reputation. So you definitely have to be less expensive than something that has a reputation. Um, and I think the first year, we our cheapest one was like 250 bucks, and we went up, and we just had X tiers. I think we had 250, 500, 1,000, and 5,000. And it was just like have some pretty clear-cut tiers. And the next year, we, we doubled... The, all the lower end ones. I think our minimum the second year was 500, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, something like that. So those are kind of the price ranges I would look at. And the value we gave them was um, we definitely mentioned them and, and talked about them. And even if they attended, because some of the sponsors attended, we let them do a little two minute spiel up on stage if they had a, you know, if they were at a certain sponsorship level. That was one of the perks. And um, we obviously linked to him from the website. We talked about him on the podcast. We, you know, you just give them the general stuff. I mean, you're trying to promote them uh, in a way that's tasteful and it doesn't feel like you're, you're cramming it down people's throat. Now, we also only sought and allowed sponsors that we either use ourselves or that we respect. You know, we're, we're not going to take uh, and promote a company that, that doesn't jive with our, with our mission. Got it. So, one of the things that you know we're doing is having to approach speakers, and obviously you've got a you've got a great long term reputation out there. But for people that maybe don't have the same rep- reputation, how did you get those cornerstone guys to to commit to coming to your conference? Did you go to them and say, "Hey, we're going to pay you money," or I mean, what what was what are the tactics that work to get people to come to your conference? And I'm sure on top of that, you had people approaching you to speak at your conference as well. We did. So we were, especially the second year, overwhelmed. I probably got 35 emails in about two months for people wanting to speak. And it was, it became, it came to the point where next year I'm going to put up a Google Doc, and, or I'm sorry, a Google, like a form, you know, a Wufu or a Google form. And when people email me, I'll just refer them to there to fill it out because I had so many back and forth emails trying to figure out people's resumes and such. Um, but Dan, back to your question of, of how to get speakers. The first year especially was very challenging because it was, you know, this is two and a half years ago. And I knew some people in the space, but I, I just wasn't as, um, as well known, I guess, you know, as, as I am these days. And so... I obviously I put myself on the docket and Mike, and then I knew Pat Patrick McKenzie, Patty Eleven really well. So it, once he accepted, that was great. And then I used those names to to leverage and say these three people are going to be there. Um, and I actually approached I approached several folks and didn't hear back. And then I learned that a, a, like a colleague of mine knew one of these guys, and it was he knew Andrew Warner, and he had done like a programming job for him, and 
you know, pitched pitched for me. It was purely a network thing. And I had emailed Andrew, and he's obviously very busy and hadn't gotten back to me. I hadn't been on Mixergy, you know, before then. And so once Andrew was in, then he was awesome because he said, name two other speakers that you want to be at the conference. Wow. Right. So he's a connector and you know, he knows everybody. So he then got me Sean Ellis, who's a big startup marketing guy. And that was our core that we started with. Um, and actually I knew Noah Keg and I had, I had linked to Noah Kagan early on the AppSumo guy and he, he was down for it right away. So it was part partially doing some favors for people, but it was also going after the network. We did do some cold emailing. And if you're going to cold email and you aren't, you know, you aren't known, you don't have a name, you really got to lend some credibility to your event because people who are known, they get a lot of these emails to ask, you know, ask them to come and speak. And, and it's a lot of time out of their day or out of their week to, to come and do that. So you got to have some justification for it. Are you offering any money or like, how does it work with like travel expenses and all that kind of stuff? Do you you know, say that up front or is that kind of like, well, what's the deal there? How do you do that? Yeah, uh, we say it up front. When I email, I say we, we cover, uh, you know, all of your travel and food expenses okay. and just that. So we don't, we don't pay. It's actually not customary in the startup world really to get paid to speak. It's more of a giving back thing. And luckily a lot of the startup people are, you know, they're CEOs of a $10 million company or something. It's right. like, what, really, am I going to move their needle by offering thousand dollars? <laughs> so... <laughs> Interesting. And so uh, when you had these speakers come in, Rob, uh, did you structure the content for them or did you just basically give them uh, guidelines or did you let them run wild with it? With more experienced speakers who I had either seen or, you know, either online or in person, I tended to ask them, I, uh, first what I did is I explained the demographic and it's very important, especially the second year, I had a really good handle on our, our attendees are mostly male. Um, 30 to 45, mostly married, mostly don't live in the Bay Area. They're doing self-funded startups. You know, you can really go into the nitty gritty of it and you can say they're all real founders. Like they are either, they've already started, they are starting. I mean, that's a very different audience than um, a lot of the startup conferences you go to where it's people pitching for, for venture capital or whatever. So by by right. defining that to them, then I would say, all right, that, that's our demographic. What are you really excited to talk about? And they would send back an idea, and then I would hone it into a, a headline, basically, right? Because each each talk title should be a headline. So they might send back, um, you know, here's five things I learned starting my startup. And then I would say, well, how about here's five things I learned starting my startup, uh, or getting my startup from zero to seven figures in 18 months. And and I would confirm, <laughs> did, did you do that? You know, and they'd say, yeah. <laughs> but that that's like such a better talk title, right? I want to see. I want to see this talk now. So that was the mo the more experienced speakers was all just let's nail the headline and then you go away and do your thing. The less experienced speakers, I did ask for slides once they had a draft, and I would run through them and give them some feedback. But realistically, I mean, you can't. You're not going to Skype and hear their talk and, and coach them all. There's just there's no time, and it's not realistic. You have to pick people who are you know who are good enough to kind of manage themselves. Right. Wow, I'm taking notes. Hold up, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so when it comes when you when you do hone in that title then you just say all right well you have an hour and, and have fun with that or do you look at those slides and kind of micromanage or manage that that project no i did not manage the project for anyone who i knew was a solid speaker and who knew how to prepare Okay. Uh, a talk because it is a very if, if this person even if they're a knowledgeable ceo if they've never done a talk before it's really hard to nail it it's really hard to do a good talk and we wanted to keep the, the quality high so um we and we didn't we did an hour the first year 
and that was too long. It was just, it was too long for almost all the speakers. You have to be very engaging to, to keep people on track for that long. So the second year we did 30 to 40 minute talks with up to 10 minutes of Q&A okay. after, depending on the audience. And I would recommend that time frame. That gives you a little more time for breaks and just keeps, keeps the pace moving. All right, so let me put you on a spot. This is one that just popped in my head is, what really sticks out as making a great talk? Because I like watch TED talks on YouTube and I'm like, that was great. But I never really thought about, you know, what made it good. Yeah. Um, so what I try to do when I'm structuring, uh, I mean, Mike and I both do this, but, but when I'm talking to speakers, I try to get a balance of about 80% actionable advice and about 20% inspiration. And that's a personal preference of mine. Um, that's about you know when I consume books or blogs or whatever, I like a little bit of inspiration and a heck of a lot of stuff I can write down and do next week. So as I'm as we're contacting people, I make sure to balance. You know, uh, Dan Martell spoke and I knew he was going to be inspirational, and so I let him know like make your talk inspirational. You can be actionable if you want, but really focus on the inspiration. And then almost everybody else, I said, please have actionable takeaways. So even if the talk is not fantastic, if you give someone like, here are three tips that you've never heard about AdWords that are totally going to you know, jack up your AdWords uh, uh, profits, or you know, here's three things you never heard about, you know, whatever, another marketing approach. It, the talk doesn't even have to be fantastic if that's what people right. are looking and I think that's different than a lot of conferences I go to where at least half of the stuff will just be this, here's my story. I launched, I did this, I did that. And it's like, boy, that was, that was interesting. But what, what do I take away from that? Right. Right. Especially if you have a group of guys that kind of know each other's stories. That yeah. it's like, well, I've, I've kind of already heard this before. That's right. Um, so Rob, get into like the nitty gritty of how to schedule an event. Um, you know, this is like very time intensive. Like you almost need like a personal assistant or a planner, I feel like, to do this for you. Um, so, you know, and there's a lot involved. You know, you've got to book the venue. Um, you've got, I assume you had badges, things like that for attendees. Uh, maybe you have to book the uh, hotel for them. So where do you even start with this? Uh, is this something that you did yourself or did you have somebody helping you out? And uh, what are kind of some of the kind of shortcuts now that you've done in a couple of years? Sure. Well, the, we did not have an assistant. Um, although the first year it was just Mike and I, the second year we used our VA quite a bit because we had some docs and some stuff from the year before that we could reuse. And next year we're talking about getting an actual someone with event knowledge. Um, we just haven't been able to afford them in the past. And so, uh, hopefully we could do that next year. But, um, our shortcuts that we took from the first year to the second were the fact that we, that we had like simple spreadsheets of of all the tasks that needed to get done once you have it in a google doc and it's like book venue who's going to do that by what date i mean it's simple project management you know badges who's going to print those by what date ticket you know ticket marketing who's going to do i mean that's all we had there are both more things to do and fewer things to do than you think there need to be um, by the time you actually enumerate it out it, it's like huh that's not that bad actually um, and if you just focus on each one you know, you, you kind of knock it out. But yeah, if you have help and someone knowledgeable in this, it would be it would be a dream, in my opinion, to to have some some real help with these logistical things. So I feel like we just needed a lawyer to read through the document that the hotel sent us. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, us too. Both Mike and like I. A, it. Yeah, but it's yeah, they're like twenty page prescription size font. <laughs> right. So so we're at this point where there's this democracy of tasks. You know, you know, where is it chicken or fish? Is it a t-shirt or a tank top? Is it 
you know, a badge or a fob. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, you go through all this stuff and you, and you figure out everything, but what do you feel like were the, the, a few key things that your attendees walked away and they said that really made it for me. Like that made the whole thing worth it to come and to be a part of what was it? What were the big, most valuable takeaways for, uh, your microconf attendees? I think there were there were two aspects of it because so I've I've attended quite a few conferences both as a speaker and attendee, and microconf by comparison we don't give away that much cool stuff at all like our swag is swag is not very good our raffles are are so so I mean we give away Kindles I mean we just we don't have the budget for it, but the thing that people clamor for and both years we've heard so many positive feedback uh, comments about is. Number one, that the the speaker quality is very high and that people take away a lot of actionable things. Number two, I guess there are three, I lied. Uh, number two is the speakers are at the conference the whole time and are very approachable. We ask our speakers to stay and to be at the events, like the, the parties in the evenings. And that means that you only have 120, 130 attendees, you have 12 speakers. You're, you can pretty much talk to every speaker as an attendee. Right. Whereas if you go to a large conference and you see Seth Godin speak, you don't have a chance of talking to that guy. So very approachable and that, that people, you know, get really excited about that. And the third thing is being able to, um, having a lot of, of events that are actually organized outside of the talks. So we did, I know you guys have mentioned you have like a welcome reception Friday night. We had a welcome reception the night before, then we have a party the first night and we have a party the second night every night because that people just spend, you know stay five six seven hours at a bar from you know the talk at talks end at five and i would leave at midnight or one in the morning and people would still be there chatting because it's one of the few times during a year you know we can all get together and, and network yeah dan and i've made the mistake uh and gone to conferences before where we didn't stay like on base uh and it's just like a total loss because uh, you don't get to hang out with the people that are at the pool and at the bar afterwards so we've really encouraged our audience to stick around the hotel and so i think it's kind of on us like you said to to provide for them uh activities now one of the activities that i know you guys were providing is that hotel suite can you tell us a little bit about that <laughs> the, <laughs> the infamous hotel suite <laughs> the, oh the uh yeah boy that was awesome the penthouse suite was a, a perk of um the first hotel we were at and it we had actually made the mistake of not booking an event after the last night and so everyone was stay or a lot of people were staying until the next morning and it was like the pressure of the conference is off let's all have a great time and that'll be the last thing everybody remembers and so andrew warner happened to have this huge thing i mean it was a hotel suite with a grand piano in it it was like bigger than my than most of my apartments have been and uh <laughs> sure enough someone just eating shaw spent like 800 dollars at the gift gift shop buying beer and tequila and we just all went up there and uh and had a blast so yeah i really would recommend having something the last night you know that really gets people jazzed because that's that's one of the big memories of of the conference this is fantastic stuff uh, you know one of the things you 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 tossed out there just sort of casually is that you had 12 speakers and mm -hmm. i'm look i'm looking at my um my schedule and thinking oh my how did you, how did you get everybody in so how did you decide like you know how did you structure the days and how much time did you give to each speaker is there a 15 minute break in between everybody or what are the basics of that because we don't even know you know how, how sure. do you stack out the schedule Sure. So we actually made the mistake the first year and we did one hour per speaker and we did not have enough breaks and it was just 
packed. The days just felt packed. And by the end of the second day, everyone was exhausted. So second year, like I said, we, we moved it down to 30 to 40 minute talks with maybe 10 minutes of Q&A. And we had, I think we had a five minute break almost between every speaker to give people a chance to get up and stretch. One person complained we had too many breaks, but I don't know, can you can you have too many breaks? Can you be too rich, too thin, or have too many breaks? <laughs> so I don't know, I mean, you have to use your judgment, but yeah, we did have a break pretty much every hour to 90 minutes. And then we had, oh, here's one interesting tip. Um, right after the first talk on the first day, have a longer break, like a 20 minute break, and have some coffee and stuff out, you know, some snacks, because it, if people know each other and they didn't make it to the welcome reception, that's their chance to sit and really start engaging and feeling like they're connecting with people. Because if they sit in talks till noon and then they start talking at lunch, they really you feel kind of isolated, you know? So it's having a 20 or even a 30 minute break early on is, is a good thing. So um, what I'm hearing here is uh, more tequila, less work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can do that. Yeah. Well, here's so, a question. Here's a simple question regarding the tequila. When did you start the conference in the morning? Was it a 8 a.m. start, or did you allow people a little bit of time to eat breakfast and stuff like that? We did a 9 a.m. start, and we, we did not provide uh, breakfast due to mostly to cost, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, we gave people time. We went from about 9 to 5 was the idea, and then we had about a one-hour lunch. Okay. So it's easier, obviously, because we had more <laughs> shorter talks, you know. It sounds like, Rob, it sounds like the downtime and, and the um, the time gathering around the bar and the restaurant is really important for these kind of conferences. Um, one of the questions that I have, let's say, for Saturday and Sunday night, how do you arrange or how do you organize 100 people to go have dinner together? Yeah, so we never did dinner because it's just too complicated and, uh, you know, at, at the level we're at. So what we did is we would say um, conferences over at 5, go grab dinner and we'll meet you at X bar that you prearrange. You have to talk to the owner in advance because you can't just have 100 people show up. And typically, you talk to the owner in advance. And if you, you know, if you can afford open bar, great. But it, we did tickets both years because Vegas is is quite expensive to do open bar. So we would go say we're gonna pre-buy. I don't even remember it was 150 drinks or something, um, or maybe it was 100. And so we'd get all the tickets and then we'd hand them out as as people came in. So that makes it a little less of a logistical nightmare for you because people they go away and eat together, you know, in small groups and then come back and you can you can just kind of welcome them in. So I'm curious about like how you set the tone for your event. Like, were you the first person to stand up there and say, hey, this is MicroConf and this is who we are and this is what happens at MicroConf? Did you have that sort of orientation at the beginning and end or did you just let it happen? No, definitely had orientation at the beginning. Uh, we had about 15 minutes scheduled before the first speaker, so from 9 to 9.15. And Mike and I stood up, and to be honest, the first year was a little clunky. We ha we didn't have it nailed. But the second year, you know what I did? I did the uh, We did the intro to the podcast. So I did the intro, and I said, I'm Rob, and he says, I'm Mike. And then, you know, I said, we're here to share our experiences and the experience of everyone here so we all avoid these same mistakes, you know. And I think I even said like 160 of your closest founder friends are here. And so the people like clapped because there were a lot of people who, you know, hear that every week. And so that kind of set a little bit of a tone. And then we really talked about we want you to do three things while you're here. We want you to take away actionable advice. We want you to get inspired and we want you to connect with people. So we tried to lay out expectations of like you should be doing these three things. And then we said at the end of this conference, we 
are, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to ask people to tell me what they are taking away that they're going to implement next week. And that gets everyone in the mindset of like, <clears throat> there's something of value here and I need to be taking some notes. You know, there's going to be a test later. And so then the second day when we ask that and people call out things they're going to do, A, it reminds us all of like, oh, I missed that one. That's a great takeaway. Right. And it also instills the value, right? It instills the value of, of what they've been doing for the past 48 hours. That reminds me of something that you mentioned. Uh, I love the MicroConf episode, so we'll make sure to link to those. Um, but one of the things you said is that some of the most successful presentations were actually when audience members would yell out their websites and then the whole audience would sort of um, shake down that site in front of everybody. Could you tell us how that worked? And it, is that something that we could incorporate into our event? Oh, absolutely. That was probably our our hidden gem that we stumbled upon that first year. In essence, we had Ramit Sethi come and speak from uh, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And he said he wanted to do, he called them teardowns, the website teardowns, but they're basically just critiques of how you can improve conversions, you know, better improve your messaging and that kind of stuff. And so he did his talk and then he wanted, I think, 30 minutes for teardowns. And he, it, it was spectacular and what it, he did it prearranged where we actually emailed in advance our attendees, they submitted URLs and then he looked through them on his own and then when he got up there he just you know presented his findings type thing and, and had someone he actually had him come up in in the front and then pointed to their website on the screen and gave him critiques just so happens one of our speakers was not able to make it had an emergency at his company had to leave so the next day we had this hour slot and we we got Patrick McKenzie and Heaton Shaw and they just did that's where they did it on the fly and literally in the audience you just call out you know you raise your hand call out your website URL they type it up and they look at it for 10 seconds and just start giving you feedback on the fly. And so, so cool. that was epic and people loved it. And so the second year we scheduled that into the conference one each day and we may do a little more. We did one a 30 minute session each day with different speakers. Speakers love to do this, right? I mean, that, that's like a really engaging, fun thing to do for knowledgeable speakers. And it's a, it's a no brainer for the, the attendees as well. So was this like a breakout session and did you have any other breakout sessions that you kind of uh, worked on people's businesses in front of the it group? Was, it was not a breakout session. It was in front of the entire, uh, you know, attendee base and we did not have any breakout sessions. Wow. Um, we've toyed with the idea of doing that. I got to be honest, every breakout session I've ever been to, maybe I've just been to bad ones, but they have not been valuable for me. And so Mike and I try to build a conference that we really want to attend. We pick the speakers we want and kind of do the structuring the way we'd want it. And luckily it's resonated with people. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we'll do workshops or breakout sessions. I just, I haven't seen them done well. I think once I see them done and I could kind of copy that, I would do it, but. That's very fascinating. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, I mean, I feel like that's something that we're we're struggling with because I mean, I heard that from your show and I thought, well, you know, that's going to be so valuable is to create that interaction. So how can we bake that into, maybe it makes more sense then to sort of bake that interaction into each presentation and find something that the speaker's knowledgeable about that maybe they could interact with a few with, with the audience on. I could see doing that. I could also see something we have considered is next year, both lunches having uh -huh asking each speaker to sit at an individual table. You put a little place card there, you know, Heat and Shaw's here, Rob Walling's here, and then it's a conversation. And it's not just interviewing the speaker, it's actually, let's use that time to all network with each other 
And because typically, if you're a fan of, you know, or a follower of Heat and Shaw, you probably have some commonalities. You might be into the SEO or analytics space. You know, there's just some commonalities versus Amy Hoy, who's more into the designer space. And so you're going to naturally click with each other and use that time to. You can either give them a couple questions to talk about, or ask them to analyze each other's businesses. Give them some structure for sure, but use that time as both eating and and a, maybe it's partially structured networking. Excellent. So I got one last question for you, Rob. Uh, this has just been so helpful. So thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm curious as to what were some assumptions that you walked into, um, the biggest ones that sort of got upturned for you and now that you think totally differently and you would have never have learned that about yourself or your business had you not thrown an event like this. Early on, I thought that, uh, <laughs> I thought that having a blog audience was like was enough engagement was valuable enough because my blog audience is fairly large it's like 20 I don't know 21,000 RSS subscribers but I realized that not being able to sell out a conference based on that means that that audience actually is less engaged than say a podcast that has one tenth of the followers and I learned a big lesson about engaging with people and that that the more often they hear from you and you know obviously podcast just being a much more personal medium, it makes a big difference in, in how far people are willing to go to, to kind of take a flyer on you. All right, Rob. Well, thanks so much for joining us at uh, uh, the LBP. Um, you're always welcome here as always. And uh, we're hoping to make it to the old microconf next year. So thanks for sharing uh, the goods. Awesome, awesome, Rob. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Ian, let's get moving on to just the tips. Also, we should give a huge shout out to Rob's partner, Mike Tabor, startupsfortherestofus.com. Mike's got a blog at singlefounder.com. Uh, those guys are super inspirational, and I love listening to their stuff. So always a pleasure to have them over here. I got a couple quick... The, the, your cat's walking all over this place. <laughs> I can't control him, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hold on a second. Oh, my God. Get out of here. Go on. Uh, Ian... I love minimalism on my computer. I love keeping things really simple in my life. And one of the things that helps me do that is simpledesktops.com. I don't like the, the native Apple backgrounds with all the stars and galaxies. It's too much going on. It makes me think too much. I'm always like, what are those stars? What's going on? I can't handle that. I got to have it be more simple than that. I can't handle the beautiful pictures because my files get lost in like the leaves or the panda bears or whatever. So I need simple clean illustrations that make me look cool at coffee shops simpledesktops.com this you're going to be the coolest kid in the coffee shop if you go to simpledesktops.com check it out it's all free it's a pretty sweet website i'm glad someone put it together also before we get off i'd like to point you guys to mitch and mark's conversation over at the six pixels of separation podcast they had a great show ian about the future of blogging uh, and the opportunity for what they called mature content with new media tools. And one of the ideas put forward in that podcast, which I am just so huge a fan of, is we talk about like having like a mini New York Times, Ian. You sort of yep. start a blog or a podcast and you go into a niche like outsourcing or taxes or, you know, uh, one guy in the D.C., he does football coaching. It's an awesome website. You become... The, and he doesn't even do football coaching. We should give a shout. We've got to talk to this guy. It's amazing. He does defensive football coaching for high school coaches. And, you know, guys that are into that stuff, 
they don't they really want great content about that stuff they're willing to pay for it and you can build a business you can build a lifestyle business off of that kind of stuff um you know in the example of of TechCrunch, obviously you could build a much larger business off of that kind of stuff but anyway check out this podcast it's absolutely fantastic okay and i want to give one more shout this is actually a shout and not a tip uh, next Monday, September 17th, I'm going to be holding a free webinar with our buddies Matt Kowalik, Jamin, and also Peter Keller from Fringeport, and we are going to be talking about manufacturing in China. Uh, so the address for that is Lifestyle Business Podcast forward slash webinar forward slash uh, we'll webinar webinars it. forward slash <laughs> China. Uh, we're going to hold that uh, for about an hour. We're going to take questions and we're going to talk about the basics. So please join us there. I love how like we come across as we're supposed to be internet experts here. We're like, it's really simple to come to this webinar. Just go to slash <laughs> webinar slash dash slash underscore ampersand. Come like, on. No, that's, that's the short address. You should have seen the one we started with. We'll have a link to that on our blog. And what I love about this China webinar idea is you've been actually kicking around this idea for years, Ian, where you're like, man, nobody is talking about how to actually manufacture stuff in China. Like, why aren't we doing that? And you know, it's hard. It's not so simple. But what uh, one thing that you said lately, you know, the goal with the webinar is that you're going to blow the doors off of this thing. You're going to blow it open so that people can see the nuts and the bolts. And uh, I'm excited to come to it, actually. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's the China webinar on the 17th. Come to this uh, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com, and it's really easy to register. Register, and it's actually a no-pitch webinar. There's no product. There's nothing except the the juicy details. I got nothing to sell unless you're interested in cab furniture. And speaking of, of selling stuff, a little bit of social proof. I think in the in like the hour after we put out the email, like 75 people signed up, and now we need to upgrade our go to webinar account. So, which is to like the $400 a month plan. So. You should have seen Ian sweat when we, uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, today we're going to play. The only good thing that can come out of that is Starwood points. So, <laughs> uh, today we're going to play you out with a great band that Ian, uh, hipster Ian, we can start calling him, hooked me up with. It's called Group Love. They sing a song called The Lovely Cup. And it's been a lovely time. It's been Thursday morning. We'll see you guys next Thursday morning. Booyah. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything 